us. Thank you, Jesus. If you have your Bible, want to stand with me to Luke, turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. I rarely take notice of the time, and, and here lately I have felt like I've preached a little long. So I'm making a mental note to myself. It is 1037. Amen. I know now what time I started. See, it doesn't help when I look down and see what time it is because I don't know what time I started. So now I know what time I'm starting. We'll see where we end up. Amen. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 12. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it shall come to pass that as they, I'm sorry, and it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. So Jesus said, Go show yourself to the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, and go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. I want to talk for a few minutes about the magnificent minority. The magnificent minority. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? I love you. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the word of God, which has been read in our hearing today, Lord, and the potential, the wonderful power that is in that word, Lord. So much that is spoken there. It speaks volumes into the heart and to the mind of faith. And I'm asking, Lord, the next few moments you'd help us to tap into that spirit that flows out of that verse today, Lord. Let it touch us and let it change us. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I want to draw your attention to 10 nameless lepers in Scripture. There's nothing really unique about them. They are 10 people just like you and just like me. There's nothing to distinguish them from one another. There's nothing really to distinguish them from any of us. They're just 10 ordinary people who have contracted a terrible debilitating disease that has devastated their lives. They were all lepers. They all suffered from the same sickness. They all shared the same fate. They were all enduring the same terrible crisis together. They were companions on a difficult journey that would ultimately end in a ghastly death. They were considered by society to already be dead. They were the walking dead. Their once strong bodies were being buried piece by piece, even as their wretched lives continued on. They had the company of one another, but no one else would suffer their presence. They were outcast, forever cut off from the fellowship of loved ones and from the companionship of normal people. 
abandoned and alone. They were nothing more than human wreckage discarded on the wayside of life, all because of a disease called leprosy. It was a devastating disease. Not only was it very contagious, both by touch and by transmission through breathing, it was, it was also a source of ritual impurity. Those who had it were considered by the law to be nothing more than walking corpses, nothing more than dead people, and to come into contact with them would make the person who touched them also become unclean in the same way that touching a dead body would make them unclean. The regulations concerning leprosy are, are given in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, and the most terrible thing about it was the isolation that it brought shunned and despised lepers were outcast from society they were to cry unclean 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 anywhere they went so the people knew they were coming they were condemned to live alone apart from normal people banished from society and exiled from their homes and their family and their community and their place of worship for those reasons the psychological consequences of leprosy were as serious as the physical impact. The disease was associated with shame and horror. It carried with it a perpetual sense of personal guilt. That's because the Bible implies that God caused that disease to come upon people as a punishment for sin. And there was no cure for it. No doctor could touch it. The only hope of healing from this thing called leprosy was divine intervention. Only God could heal. Consider King Uzziah. The scripture said that when he flaunted God's law, it was the Lord who smote him with leprosy. And he was a leper, Brother Donnie, until the day of his death he never recovered. Or the Syrian commander Naaman the leper, who when he was cured from that dreadful disease, when the prophet told him to go and dip in the river and God miraculously healed him, he declared for all to hear, he being a Syrian said, there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel there is a God. Why? Because only God can touch that which hells me. Only God can heal leprosy. He recognized there's no treatment for that disease apart from divine intervention. And having been cleansed from that dreadful disease, he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the God of Israel was the one true God of all the earth. It is this, above all else, that you and I hold in common with those ten lepers. All of us, everybody under the sound of my voice today, has been affected by the same dreadful human condition called sin. The psalmist said in the 51st Psalm in verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. None of us bears the horrible disfigurement of sin on the outside. It's not like the leper. You can't look and see. You can't see the discoloration of the skin. You can't see the missing body parts. You can't see the deterioration and the rot as it's taking place. But all of us have hidden deep inside of us those scars that sin leaves behind. We've all struggled with guilt and shame that comes from sin. We've all 
been subject uh, to the terrible results uh, of sin in our lives. Uh, we've all seen it happen. We've all seen it unfold. We've all experienced it in our day-to-day living. Not the social exclusion of those biblical days, but the terrible stain that sin leaves on a life. Damage that is not measured in limbs that are missing, but in homes that are wrecked, in dreams that are abandoned, in lives that wander hopelessly, tossed to and fro. And at the end of the day, we all recognize there is no cure for that dreadful condition. There is no escape apart from God. You can't cure sin. You can't, the best doctor in the world cannot prescribe you a medication that will release you from sin's devastating effect. Now, some have tried, many have tried. They've tried to find a cure in pills. They've tried to find a cure in drugs. They've tried to find a cure in alcohol. They've tried to find a cure in just pure escapism, uh, just running from it all, just entertain myself uh, into oblivion. Uh, But there's nothing in this world that can mitigate the effect of sin. There is only one hope for the sinner and is the singular hope of the leper. In this, then, we are all like those ten men in Luke chapter 7. We are companions in the same terrible tragedy. Sin ruins everything it touches. And we are unable to free ourselves from the bondage that it puts upon us. Sin, it makes beautiful things ugly. It wrecks institutions that were well put in place by God to be a, a blessing to us. And it goes in and it wreaks havoc and destruction there. Sin. We desperately need a Savior. We desperately need a Deliverer. All of us need Jesus. Those ten lepers had another thing in common. They each had a fierce desire to be healed. Each of them wanted very badly to return to his former life. Each of them wanted uh, once again to be able to embrace the things that he had lost. There was more than just the knowledge that they needed a Savior. They shared the drive and the desire to seek one out. Old Alan Oggs, and some of you may remember him and some of you may not. But he used to say, Brother Jimmy, you got to have the want to. And these lepers, they had the want to. Amen. They had that compulsion. They had that drive, uh, that insatiable desire to be set free. Uh, it's another thing that we have in common with them. Each of us is in this house today because we recognize that we need God. Uh, each of us has come to this house on a Sunday morning because we've made up our minds uh, to actively seek him. We know that we need his touch. Uh, we know that we need his blessing. Uh, we know that we need his hand on our lives. Some of you found salvation many, many, many years ago, but you keep coming back to him because you recognize that you cannot make it through this world without him. We constantly need the grace of God. We constantly need the mercy of God. We constantly need the hand of God working in our lives. We constantly need that refreshing that can only come from his presence. And we are all in our own personal way seeking him with that same drive and that same desire that those ten lepers had. Another thing that the lepers had in common was faith. They had all heard of Jesus. 
that all heard the wonderful miracles that he was doing. Just a few chapters before, he's healed a, le a man with leprosy, and, and surely by now they've heard the story of how Jesus is a healer and Jesus is a deliverer, and they've heard miraculous things that he's done, uh, and they all possessed enough faith uh, to get up uh, and go out uh, and meet Jesus. Uh, they believed so firmly uh, in the stories that they had heard uh, about this man from Galilee, uh, about this healer from Nazareth. Uh, that they were willing to get up and go uh, where they were not welcome, where they were not supposed to go, to draw near to the city, to strategically position themselves in such a way as to intercept Jesus before he came into the city. The scripture tells us that they stayed afar off. They knew that they were unwelcome there. They knew that they weren't allowed in the presence of normal people. Now, there's no lasting record that we can reliably turn to and see how far they were required to stay away from people. Some scholars believe it was a distance as much as 50 yards, which would account for the fact that the scripture says they cried out. They lifted their voice. It wasn't just a, a, a quiet, subtle conversation that takes place. When somebody's 50 yards away, you've got to lift your voice and you've got to cry out. But they did that. They had enough faith to believe. If I can just get his attention, if I can just turn him this way, if I can just let him know that I'm here, if I can just let him know that I have a need, if I can just lift my voice and cry out to Jesus, it'll make a difference in my situation. It took effort on their part. I want you to know they were not going to accidentally be healed. Jesus was not going to stumble across them. They had to seek him out. They had to go put themselves in his path. They had to make their voices heard. They had to cry out to him. The same is true this morning. If you need something from God, uh, you got to make up your mind uh, that you're going to lift your voice uh, and you're going to call out to him. He's in this house, uh, but he's not going to accidentally heal you. Uh, he's in this house, uh, but he's not going to accidentally deliver you. Uh, he's in this place, uh, but he's not just going to stumble across where you are. Uh, you're going to have to lift your voice uh, and you're going to have to call out to him. You're going to have to put your faith to work and begin to call upon his name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're not going to stumble into your deliverance. But the scripture said, seek him and you'll find him. You still got to seek him. But there's a promise in the word that said you'll never seek him in vain. You'll never come hungry and go home empty. You'll never come thirsty and go home with the same desire. If you seek him, you'll find him. Amen. But they're respectful. They, they stand off. They don't encroach upon the path where Jesus is going to walk. They have enough faith, though, to cry out to him, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. It may be a Hail Mary. It may be a shot in the dark. It may be a one in a million chance, but it's a chance they're willing to take. They have no assurance of the outcome. They have no assurance of what's going to happen. Amen. They have no, no reassurance that he's going to turn their way, but just the chance that he might deliver them. Just the chance that he might heal them. Just the chance that this might be the day that he turns my direction is enough. And so with reckless abandon, they cry out, Jesus, have mercy on us. 
they were probably amazed when Jesus actually heard their cry and turned to look upon them. Then I believe he went a step further. When they could not come to him, I believe he went to them. I don't know how close he got, but Brother Donnie, I just can't imagine Jesus shouting what he says next from a distance of 50 yards. Hey, go see the priest. I just have to imagine he comes walking over to where they are. Amen. Where nobody else is willing to go. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus will always meet you where you are. He's never going to leave you there. He's always going to tell you to get up and leave that place. But he's always going to come to where you are. Amen. You're not so far away from him that he can't reach you. You haven't gone so far that his hand isn't long enough to touch your life. Amen. You haven't committed such gross sin uh, that he won't deal with you. He'll come to where you are. Amen. Amen. What he said to them just didn't make any sense, though. Even though he comes to where they are, even though he draws near them, even though he, you know, he doesn't come to them and say, you're healed. He doesn't come to them and say, let me pray over you and spit and stutter and snort and stomp and watch him walk away healed. What he says to them doesn't make any sense at all. He doesn't touch them. He doesn't pronounce a word of healing over their bodies. Instead, he says, Brother Donnie, go see the priest. To understand the significance of that, you've got to go back to Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. Because it was the priest who was given the charge of pronouncing folks either clean or unclean. Now, I want you to understand the role of the priest is diagnosis. He can't cure them. He doesn't have the ability to prescribe a cure. He doesn't know of a cure. He doesn't have anything he can do for them, but he can pronounce them. He can diagnose them both as having leprosy or as having been cured from leprosy. So Jesus sends them to the priest because the priest is authorized to examine them and pronounce that they've been healed. But here's the catch. Brother Ryan, they haven't been healed. Their situation hasn't changed. There's still 10 lepers standing before him. Jesus didn't heal them. Instead, he sent them to the priest. Uh, he simply told them to get up and go. But I want you to understand what kind of faith they had. Uh, there are a lot of people that say, I have faith, uh, but they won't obey the word of God. There are a lot of people that say, I have faith, uh, but they're not willing to hear the word uh, and heed it. Uh, let me tell you what kind of faith they had. When Jesus said, go to the priest, uh, amen, he's going to examine you. He's going to pronounce you clean. They didn't look down and say, well, I'm not clean, so I'm not going. They said, if he said go, I'm going to go. If he says do, I'm going to do. Whatever it is that he says, amen, there's an obedient kind of faith that comes into play here. A faith that says, I'm going to do whatever Jesus tells me to do, even when it doesn't make sense. It's ludicrous to go present yourself to the priest before you've been healed. It's absolutely a laughing stock. It's everybody's going to mock you to go before the priest and be examined. We all know that you're a leper, but they all turned, all ten of them, and headed straightway to the priest. Amen. They had a faith about them that believed. Amen. They had a faith about them that was willing to obey. Amen. 
Obedience is always the proper response of faith. Just ask Naaman, who was told to go dip in the River Jordan seven times. He said, oh, not that old trashy River Jordan. Yes, because in your obedience, you activate the miracle. It's in your obedience where the healing comes. So in faith, these lepers who still have leprosy turn away from Jesus and head to the temple. I love verse 14 of our text. As a matter of fact, I'm quite disappointed that I, I messed it up as I was reading it because it's my favorite verse in the whole passage. It says, And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. As they went. I, I, can you just imagine the moment? They're hobbling along on feet that don't have any feeling. They're supporting each other and as they make their way on, on limbs that have no strength. Uh, they're leaning on one another for support. There, there's a reason why all ten of them are together uh, because it's easier to get along. Uh, amen. You need your big toe to balance your body. Uh, but the first thing that goes with that leprosy is it begins to eat off uh, those appendages. Uh, amen. They, they need each other to get the balance. Uh, they need each other to walk along the way. Uh, and they're going uh, and they're obeying Jesus. And they're leaning on one another. Just ten miserable outcasts. Just ten fractured pieces of humanity. Just ten broken lives. When all of a sudden, strength begins to return. All of a sudden, feeling begins to come back. Where there's never been any feeling. All of a sudden, everything begins to change. I can just see it. I don't believe they've gotten very far down the road, Donnie. I don't believe they traveled all that great of a distance, Brother Andy. Amen. I just believe that all of a sudden this transformation begins to take place and one of them begins to realize, uh, amen, and suddenly uh, they stop uh, and they, they begin to uh, unweave themselves from one another uh, and they begin to stand uh, on their own uh, for the very first time uh, in a very long time uh, and all of a sudden uh, they begin to realize uh, a miracle has taken place. They, they begin to examine their skin. The skin condition is gone. The discoloration, it's gone. The damage is still there. The body parts are still missing. Amen. But the, the strength is back in the limbs. Amen. The, what is left is whole. What is left is cleansed. What is left has been made right. The disease is gone. They were all healed on their journey as they obeyed, made their way to the priest. The obedient response of faith will always result in the power of God coming to work in your life. You can just bank on it. If he says do it, it doesn't matter what kind of sense it makes. It doesn't matter how reasonable it is. It doesn't even matter if you're not sure it's him. If you feel like he said do it and there's even an outside chance, you do it. Because that's where the power comes. That's where the obe obedience looses the hand of God in your life. That's why when a preacher said, you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to wash away your sin. It don't make any sense uh, to get in this old tank uh, and get this isn't holy water. This comes out of the tap. Uh, but when you go down in that water, something happens because of obedience. I can't save you. 
you can't save yourself. That water can't save you. But the Bible said that through that water, uh, we enter into salvation. Amen. We, we, we are buried with him uh, in baptism. Uh, we're baptized into Jesus Christ. I can't explain it. Amen. But it's on the basis of obedience. Each of them begins to look at the other in wide-eyed wonder as realization begins to dawn. Everything has changed. And all of a sudden, everything they've lost, the dreams they've given up hope on, the, the farms and fields that they've left for somebody else to labor in, the wife and kids that they haven't seen in some time, all of a sudden, everything they've lost they realize it's been given back to them again. The only thing standing in between them and going home to their families and going home to their loved ones is a visit to the priest. And again, we have this in common with them. Every believer who ever experienced salvation has this in common with them. We all have the same need. We all possess the same faith. We all come with the same obedience. And we all receive the same miracle. He gives back to us. The Bible said, I'll restore the years that the canker worm hath eaten. Amen. There's some things you lost to sin. That when you repented of your sins, it don't make any sense. But God gave them back. Amen. There were some visions and dreams that God had given you as a young person that you thought were gone. Amen. But when you come to an altar and you repent of your sins, he makes a way where there seems to be no way and he restores things. He makes things brand new. We have that in common with those 10 lepers. Amen. We've all been there. We've all known the thrill of deliverance. We've all felt the weight of sin lift away. We've all experienced the joy of new life, a new hope, a new future in Jesus Christ. But that, my friend, is where the similarity has to end. You see, the majority... When they realized what had happened, went directly to the priest in anticipation of returning to the lives. Nine of them became so consumed with the thoughts of friends and family and second chances uh, that they forgot all about the one who had healed them. Uh, all they could see was their blessing, uh, and their blessing was so prominent uh, that they forgot all about the source uh, of the blessing, uh, and they ran joyfully to the temple, uh, exuberantly anticipating happy reunions with loved ones, uh, and they forgot the one who had blessed them. I can tell you I've stood in this pulpit and I've seen it over and over and over and over again. I've seen the family who prayed for God to do a miracle for them. And then when the miracle came through, they forgot all about the God uh, who worked the miracle. I've seen mothers receive children who had no hope of receiving children. I've seen people receive fine jobs that had no hope of finding a job. I've seen people restored and renewed uh, that had no hope of being restored and renewed. Don't be the person uh, who forgets the God uh, who answered your prayer. Uh, don't be the person uh, who doesn't take the time uh, to come to the one uh, who blessed you. Don't let the blessing outweigh the blesser. All of them but one. And instead of rushing to the temple as he was commanded to do by Jesus, 
Instead, he turns back. He forgets the priest. He forgets the cleansing. He forgets the pronouncement. He forgets about going back to normal life. And instead, he turns back to do something that the other nine never considered doing. We put too much stock in majorities. Amen. It's the truth. It's, uh, it's, psych- it's not, this, this isn't Bible, this is psychology. In my field, communications, we call it social proof. We learn what to do by what others are doing. You know how to act at a, at a, at a minister's banquet? By how other people are acting at a minister's banquet. Amen? Brother Donnie, I forge my own way. I go without a tie, and I just hope everybody else is going to show up without a tie. And when I get there, if everybody else isn't wearing a tie, then I feel pretty good. Amen. I'm in the majority. If I get there and I'm outnumbered, then I'm hoping some of them guys will feel a little peer pressure and take off the tie. Amen. It's called social proof. We learn how to do what's right by the majority. We put a whole lot of stock in the majority. Sometime I'm going to preach on that, but I don't have time to run off down that rabbit trail. It can have devastating effects. Amen. Person falls in a restaurant choking to death. And, and nobody responds. This happens. How come nobody comes rushing to the aid? Well, because people look at others and say, well, they're not reacting. I don't need to react. You don't think about it. It's just the way your mind works. That's what social proof is. It takes somebody who's willing to say, I'm going to do what everybody else isn't doing. I'm going to step out and break the mold. I'm going to, and that's what saves lives. That one individual who's willing to break out and willing to, to go against the norm and, and go against the flow and recognize there's an emergency to because you have what, what again, what sociologists call a, a normalcy bias. You expect everything to be normal. And so you expect a crisis. That's just, this has got to be, sure, they're just putting on. It's really not as bad as it looks. We put too much stock in the majority. I'm going to tell you something, honey. The majority isn't going to praise him. The majority isn't going to thank him. The majority isn't going to serve him. The majority isn't going to follow him. The majority isn't going to give their life to him. Amen. But thank God uh, for that magnificent minority. Thank God uh, for the one or two or three uh, that are willing to turn to him, uh, that are willing to let him become everything to them. Thank God. uh, Amen. Even though he goes back alone, uh, even though he goes back as a singular minority. Uh, even though everybody else is racing away to the temple, uh, he goes to the one who healed him. Now watch this. When he gets to where Jesus is, this time he doesn't stand afar off. Amen. When he gets to where Jesus is, uh, this time he runs up to the master. This time uh, he invades his personal space. Uh, This time uh, he goes where lepers are not allowed to go. Uh, Amen. And he falls uh, at his feet uh, on his face. Uh, Amen. Because he knows uh, what the declaration of a priest uh, would say. Uh, It doesn't matter anymore. He knows uh, that Jesus has healed his body. And so he falls at the feet of the one who healed him. He doesn't cry unclean. He cries, thank you. He doesn't cry out unclean. He cries out in gratitude and falls at the feet of Jesus. Because in that moment, he sees more than just the fact that he's been healed. He sees the wonder of what it means to be healed. And he sees the wonder of the one who has touched him. And his heart becomes consumed with the need to give thanks. It is fitting 
This week we will celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. It's a day that's set aside across all of our nation to give thanks to God. The majority of America will eat a fine meal, will share time with friends and family, and will enjoy the fellowship of the ones that they love. For most, it'll be a day of rest, a day to relax, a day to escape the cares of this world. The majority will become so consumed with the blessings in their life that they will never stop to think about the one who blessed them. But mark my words, there will be a magnificent minority who will purpose in their hearts uh, to truly give thanks uh, to the one from whom every good gift comes. Uh, there will be a minority, uh, amen. There will be a group uh, who will give thanks to God. Uh, most of the world will never consider it, uh, amen. Most of the world will never think uh, of what Thanksgiving means. Uh, to them, it'll be about cooking turkeys. Uh, it'll be about dressing and cranberry sauce. Uh, it'll be about grandma's recipe uh, or about football games uh, or about hunting ducks uh, and deer. Uh, it'll be all about holiday sales. Uh, it'll be about unbelievable bargains. Uh, it'll be about fighting crowds uh, to get the best deal. Uh, for the majority, uh, it'll be about everything but thanks. Right. Oh, but thank God for the minority. For those blessed few who will purpose in their heart, I will say thanks to the one who has blessed me. Uh, this is where you and I have to part ways uh, with the rest of the crowd. This is where you and I, amen, have to separate ourselves uh, from the nine others uh, who've experienced what we've experienced, uh, who've come where we've come, uh, who've seen what we've seen. Uh, amen. This is where you and I have got to make up our minds, uh, amen, that we have to give thanks uh, for that which we receive. The majority has become so absorbed in the gift that they've forgotten the giver but the minority rejoices not only in the gift but in the giver of all good gifts you see ten lepers cried out to Jesus from a place of desperation they all believed him enough to obey him and because of their obedience they were all healed but the majority missed out on the real miracle they found their cure, but they never found the thing that would make them complete and whole again. It happens so often, even in church. People come to Jesus with a need and no real awareness of what they really need. We become fixated on momentary problems, a financial crisis, a physical disaster, an emotional calamity. And we never really realize how much more we need from God than just what we're asking for. Amen. There exists a great danger, hear me, that when we cry out in faith, and he's faithful to hear us, and he answers our cry, that we will become satisfied and stop before we get what we truly need. You need more than just the financial blessing you're asking him for. You need more than just the physical healing that you're praying for. You need more than just the emotional peace that your heart desires. You need more from him than you even realize that you need. How many times have we received an answer and gone on with life without ever really considering what else he would do in our lives? 
How many times have we gotten the financial blessing? And then because we didn't honor him with our finances, he couldn't pour out the rest of what he wanted to do in our lives. How many times have we gotten the physical healing and then not given him and honored him with our bodies and not given ourselves to his service and, and cut ourselves off from what he really would have done? How many times have we found the emotional peace that we desire but not shared that peace with others and removed ourselves from the real blessing that he wanted to pour out in our lives? Only one came back. Only one was willing to fall at his feet. And the devastating part of the story is that the nine were Jews and the one was a Samaritan, a half-breed. He didn't belong. He was an outsider. He was alienated from the temple. He, he could go where Jesus told him to go, but he could go no further than the court of the Gentiles, and there he'd have to wait for a priest maybe to pass by to declare him clean. The Jews, they could go all the way into the court of the Jews. They could go all the way into that inner space. But he was, matter of fact, when Jesus uses the word stranger to describe him, he uses the word stranger that is what's printed on the wall. The inscription on the wall of the court of Gentiles that says no stranger can go any further than this. This is a man who's alienated. This is a man who, he has no claim to the Messiah. He has no right to expect anything from God. But the lowly Samaritan, the one who was destined to be an outsider, amen, while the majority entertained priests, the minority entertained the presence of an almighty God because he came back to worship, because he came back to give thanks. What he was isolated from in the temple, uh, he found at the feet of the one, uh, amen, who was God uh, manifest uh, in the flesh. Uh, he discovered what those nine never found. Uh, he found, uh, amen, they could only go so far, uh, but he got ushered uh, into the holiest of all, uh, into the presence of an almighty God uh, where healing flowed uh, Amen. Everything changed in that moment for him. You see, the majority missed the completion of the miracle. They took their priceless gift and they ran back to their lives with no thanks at all. But that one man found more than just a healing. He found wholeness at the feet of Jesus simply by giving thanks. There was a miracle of restoration that took place that was far greater than the miracle of healing. You see, the body parts he had lost, they began to come back again. Amen. That foot that was half eaten up, uh, it was completely restored. That hand that was withered, uh, all of a sudden there's strength there. Uh, amen. Something transformed within him. Uh, and when he left the presence of Jesus, uh, he wasn't just healed. Uh, he was restored. Uh, he wasn't just cleansed. Uh, he was whole. Uh, amen. He wasn't just, have, uh, I, I've been touched. Uh, it was more than that. Uh, I've been made brand new uh, in the presence of God. You see, for the majority, their faith produced a momentary blessing. But for the minority, thankfulness opened the fountain of new life. Ten were healed. One was made whole.
And I come to this pulpit on a Sunday morning to encourage you, the church of the living God, we all share in common that bond of faith and obedience. We all share in common that bond of salvation and deliverance. We all know what it is to be cleansed from sin stain. We all know what it is to follow an altar and repent of our sins. But I've come to encourage you to enter into a place uh, that is reserved for the minority, uh, to enter into a place that is reserved uh, for those who will give him thanks. Uh, amen. That magnificent minority that walks into the presence uh, of a holy God. Uh, no matter what others may do, uh, no matter what the majority of the church uh, may do, no matter what the majority around me may do, uh, let this day, uh, let this week, uh, let this season, uh, let this year, uh, let this life uh, be all about giving him thanks. Would you stand with me? I've asked Brother Ryan to sing a specific song. He sung it just a few, I believe, last week. It's a dangerous thing because song lyrics stick in my mind. It says this. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he set my feet on solid ground, it makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. I come to tell somebody in this place on a Sunday morning, you can't think about him without thanking him you can't think about it so many so many think about him in their moment of crisis and forget him the moment he blesses so many come to him in their moment of uh, not knowing where to turn and what to do. And when he makes a way where there seems to be no way, they forget all about him. But I'm not talking to those people today. I'm talking to that magnificent minority that's willing to stop and say, when I think about how he saved me, uh, when I think about how he delivered me, when I think about how he made a way when there seemed to be no way, uh, when I think about what he's done for me, uh, oh, I just want to lift my hands uh, and lift my voice uh, and enter into his presence uh, to give thanks. You've seen the healing. You've received the financial blessing. You've experienced the wonderful provision. But I come to this pulpit on a Sunday morning firmly believing the miracle has not yet happened. Uh, amen. God wants to do more for you than he's already done. Uh, and there's an invitation coming uh, from the throne room of heaven. Uh, there are miracles waiting uh, to those uh, of that majestic minority uh, who will show their gratitude uh, to the King of Kings uh, and the Lord of Lords. There is more. The majority will never receive it. But somebody's going to go home today as a part of that magnificent minority. I want to ask you to gather in. 
I want to ask you to find this isn't a time to get on your knees you can repent in just a moment this is a time to be thankful think about it come on somebody think about it think about it what he's done for you how he's delivered you how he's touched you how he's healed you give him the thanks that he deserves